You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everyone, it's James Crepia from the Oregonian and Oregon Live once again, bringing you another edition of the Ducks Confidential podcast. Obviously, a little bit of a different tone to this week's uh, podcast in that there's no game, and obviously there was uh, very numerous uh, turns and chapters throughout the course of the week. Uh, but rather than speculating about all the various what ifs and scenarios and wasting a whole lot of breath and time. Uh, along the journey uh, because eventually it was going to have to play out and there was just so much unknown from a day-to-day at times particularly on the testing front at Washington that sometimes you just have to let it play out and alas it plays out in a direction that uh, nobody wanted uh, and that is that there are enough positive tests and contact tracing related issues to COVID-19 at Washington's football program that the rivalry game cannot be played this weekend. So where does that leave Oregon For this week, what does that mean in terms of the Pac-12 North Division and the conference at large as the conference wraps up its final weekend of games before the championship game one week from today and then whatever games they choose to match up thereafter? Well, first to the North uh, and going through what it means in the North Division and the like. As of Friday, really as of Thursday, but as of Friday, we'll say, Washington is in first place in the standings. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a practice of semantics and language here. But unfortunately, that is where the conference finds itself, and that's the position that they put all fans and observers in, in breaking this down and trying to parse all of this. Where the Pac-12 now is, is unless they are to delay the championship game, which we have no reason to believe is going to happen, and even if it does, that that will solve any of the problems that are presently before the conference. First place in the North Division may not equate to North Division champion in the definition that we know it to be today. Why? Well, because if we go by what we know division champions to be and mean in every definition you know of uh, in years past, both historically and even in the current construct of the 2020 Pac-12 guidance, rules, protocols for uh, the football season and how tiebreakers would be handled and the like, 
as long as four of the five other Pac-12 games are played this weekend, and that includes Friday night's Territorial Cup, which is going to be played. So that means three of the other four games on Saturday are played, and we have no reason to believe any of them won't be at this time, and we certainly hope they all are, because if one of them isn't, that means somebody's had uh, a COVID problem break out, and nobody wants to see that. As long as enough games are played, then the average number of games played in the league is over 4.5. It gets rounded up to 5, and therefore, based on the decisions that were made in the preseason, before any games were played, then you would have a North Division champion, a South Division champion. They would meet in the championship game at whoever had the better win percentage uh, in conference play of those two teams. Where things get sketchy is if there were to be three or less conference games played this weekend, which, again, no one should be rooting for because that would mean there's COVID problems at numerous teams in the 11th hour here, and that is obviously not what anybody wants. Then the average number would fall to below 4.5 and and get rounded down to 4, and then the two teams with the highest win percentage would play for the conference championship, and whether there is a North Division champion in the truest of sense is irrelevant in a moot point. That's why I say Washington is in first place. Now, by the end of Saturday night, Washington may go from merely first place to the designation of North Division champion. But again, does that mean they are able to play in the championship game in one week? When they were not able to play Oregon this week, does that mean Washington will be able to play next week? Even if they move the championship game back a day, does that make a difference? We don't know. And we haven't heard enough out of uh, the University of Washington from Jen Cohen, uh, in particular in their athletic department, uh, by way of clarity on that regard. She was asked that uh, in a radio interview on Thursday in Seattle, uh, but it was not answering directly. And I don't fault her. I mean, some of this is a moving target here uh, because you could make a comment on Thursday based on the information of Thursday, and then something changes on Friday, and then something changes the following Tuesday. So you can't go through, and then people go back, you know, again, sometime next week and say, but on Thursday you said, so I I get it. I understand this is a very uh, fluid situation for everybody involved. But what does it mean for Oregon? What does it mean for the division? What does it mean for the conference championship game next weekend? All fine and fair questions and just questions and questions that need answers. And unfortunately, a whole lot of subject matter where there is a lack, lack of clarity from the conference as it stands. Like I say, those are some of the scenarios in terms of the number of games played this weekend impacting what has been agreed to thus far. However, after this weekend's games, the athletic directors are going to decide, from my understanding it was going to be after uh, Saturday's games are completed, then what the plan is for the following week. The preseason thought was that the Pac-12 would do the same thing the Big Ten was doing, and even in the beginning of the season. The first couple of weeks, you heard a couple of coaches reference that, yeah, the second-place team is going to play the second-place team, the third-place team plays the third-place team, all the way down to six versus six. Well, the problem is is that that has not been finalized at all. And you could say, well, why not? Well, for exactly this reason. Because if even if they had decided to do exactly that a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you might have to throw that plan out the window because what if USC and Colorado have to play? either by mandate, because a number of games get impacted, which, again, we don't want to see happen, or by vote, because if Washington, if, if we have a North champion, a South champion, 
even though neither of them are going to be decided on the field, which makes that very inopportune. If the ADs decide, much like the Big Ten decided to amend its rules due to the minimum number of games threshold because of things that happened there, because Ohio State would have won the Big Ten East regardless, okay. What if the Pac-12 says, look, this is not what anybody asked for. This is not what anybody planned for. This is really the ultimate and worst-case scenarios. Neither division was ultimately decided on the field by the top two teams playing each other. And when one of those quote-unquote division champions or first-place finishers, at least in the case of Washington in this case, may not be able to play and we can't guarantee it and we can't go into a game week without some level of assurance that the game will actually be played since it is, after all, the conference championship game, which doesn't just mean something to the conference, but it means who goes to the New Year's Six Bowl, most likely the Fiesta Bowl from the conference, then surely we have to have some greater degree of certainty than that entering a game week. So do USC and Colorado end up playing each other? Well, then, therefore, your whole idea of second place plays second place, and that goes out the window if it's two teams in the same division. And if Washington can't play in addition to that, now who does Oregon play? Good question. I don't think they would play anybody else in the North Division because they've played everybody else in the North Division. If you go by the next place in the Pac-12 South as of Friday afternoon, that's UCLA. I don't think they're going to be playing UCLA. They already played them before. And Larry Scott said earlier this week, that they're going to avoid rematches and favor rivalries if they can and make up games like that. And remember, if Washington can't play Oregon this week, can't play in the championship game next week, there's no Apple Cup either. So this is obviously a magnitude of a mess, the likes of which uh, only 2020 can produce. And frankly, only the Pac-12 could be experiencing on this grand scale. So who does Oregon play? even in the event of, as I say, a USC-Colorado matchup. And if Washington can't go, well then, if UCLA's out, do they play Utah? Do they play Arizona State? I have no idea. And you could go through every which matchup, every which iteration, and go through every single team and say, well, if this one, then what does this one do? Then what does this one do? Folks, again, you can go through it till you're blue in the face. Unfortunately, right now, one week from a conference championship game, we have absolutely no idea who's going to play in the game, and not because, oh, there's all these tiebreaker scenarios and it's so competitive. No, it's because of COVID. It's because of the inability of the conference to reconfigure the schedule so that the divisions could be decided on the field. It's so far seemingly an unwillingness to delay the championship game until after the 19th that you could say, well, why would you do that? Um, because ultimately that that may not fall in line with the playoff and everything else going on. Well, the Pac-12 champion ain't getting in the playoff. And you can tell the Fiesta Bowl, look, whoever wins that game, if they play the game on the 26th, is who will go to the Fiesta Bowl one week later. It's just not that big a deal. And whoever loses that game, well, either they go to another bowl game or they don't play. And that is their bowl game. That's it. The problem, though, in delaying is that it doesn't guarantee you Based on the information we know today, it doesn't guarantee you that Washington will be able to play on the 26th in a championship game or any other game for that matter. It doesn't guarantee you that Colorado and or USC would be able to play each other on the 19th and then the winner on the 26th. So delaying while on one hand 
you could say it serves the conference. It might serve the conference to do so. On the other hand, it might not at all. But those are all the various moving parts, to say the least. There's also a simpler or alternative. I don't even know if it's simpler. I shouldn't even characterize it as that. I have no idea what's simple at this point. Nothing is. Alternative of if they stick with the divisions and whoever wins the South, whether it's SC or Colorado, okay. And then you say, well, Washington's the North champion, but they're not able to go. The second place just go in, in replacement. If that's the decision, well, then it certainly seems like Oregon could be playing for the championship in a week. I can't say it's impossible, but there would be very much, uh, obviously, an outcry from either SC or Colorado, whoever loses out. And on paper, if you go by who's favored to win these various games and the like, it would seem like Colorado is the team more likely to either lose this weekend or uh, even if they end up tied and undefeated, be left out due to the one less conference game at this point. They would have a much stronger case for being included in the championship game than Oregon would as the second-place team in the North Division in the first place, and a two-loss team at that. So that's why I say none of these options are good. They all stink in terms of resolving who's going to play for a conference championship, in terms of resolving the North and South Divisions. And the conference has... To say a real conundrum is to put it mildly. No other conference is facing the issues that the Pac-12 is in terms of their uh, integrity of record, integrity of division championships, integrity of league championship. Nobody's facing that. Then in terms of bowl games and who goes where and what does it mean for who and what, I realize that there are a lot of teams playing this weekend, and the Pac-12 included, where they're saying, well, if you can get to... Even a team like Cal, if they can get to two and three and then play a game next week and get to three and three, you're bowl eligible. Bowl eligible for what? For where? There's only three, excuse me, four, uh, three non-New Year's Six, four total Pac-12 bowl partnerships still standing. So how many teams do we really suspect are going to be headed to bowl games? Not many. And right now, if we, again, we're talking about how there's two teams in both the North and South Division who are vying for division championships but or should have been vying for division championships but aren't even able to play on the field. Those are the four teams on paper today. Even if Stanford wins against Oregon State, they're 3-2 and two overall and in the league, but they lost heads up to Oregon. If Oregon State wins, they're 3-3. Three and three. But they have one more loss. In the South, if UCLA wins, they're 4-2. and two. They've got an additional win over Oregon, but they lost heads up. So this is all quite the mess, again, to say the least. How many teams do we really think are going to go to bowls, even if they were eligible? And which bowls are they going to? And when you've got a team like Boston College pulling out of and turning down any bowl invites that might come in anyway, I don't think they're going to be alone. Not from the ACC, not from the Big Ten, not from the Pac-12. I think they're going to be quote-unquote bowl-eligible teams. And remember, in the Pac-12, these still need to be 500 or better. Everywhere else, you, it doesn't matter. But you can see the wisdom of it for the Pac-12 and needing to be 500 better because it was going to happen anyway. It's happening by default. 
Because who can really argue at this point that Arizona deserves to be going to a bowl game? Or that even if they got an invite, that they would even accept it. What's the point? By the end of Friday night, they're either going to be 0-5 or 1-4. and the season, and, and that's, you know again, with the possibility of playing an additional game next week. To play an additional game other than for the opportunity, they have not proven anything on the field worthy of going to a bowl game that right now there aren't enough bowl partnerships to put them in anyway. Unless you could construct additional games somehow, some way, regionally based perhaps. Maybe there are some makeup games in conference play. Uh, or maybe there are... Uh, regional matchups you can do on campus, call them a bowl game, but it's not exactly a bowl game, obviously. But just do it between the Mountain West, perhaps, since the L.A. Bowl got scrapped. There might be things like that. I say might be. Going back to uh, the NCAA Division I uh, Football Oversight Committee, they had a meeting. One, they had a meeting on Thursday. I haven't gotten the full run out of that meeting yet. But the week before, on uh, Thursday, December 3rd, they had a uh, video conference, and there was discussion about potential flexibility for adding an additional game. So I'll read the full line item from the agenda from that meeting, but it was uh, the Football Oversight Committee agreed that some relief to allow an FBS program to participate in one contest after December 19th due to the impact of COVID-19 may be appropriate in some circumstances. Such relief, if determined to be appropriate, would not waive the legislation establishing the maximum number of football contests, 12. Uh, the Football Oversight Committee agreed that its members would solicit feedback from their conferences about a final date for FBS regular season contests, including conference championship games, and an opportunity for one additional contest after December 19th. The Football Oversight Committee will continue its discussion during its next meeting. Again, that quote-unquote next meeting was yesterday. December 10th. So what does that mean in terms of the ability for, and we haven't gotten the agenda from the December 10th uh, meeting report just yet to know how football oversight is considering that going forward. If they have elected to do so and provide that relief, well then the PAC 12 in particular, since that's where we'll keep things focused here after all, there could be the potential for a round of makeup games after the 19th, so on the 26th in non-bowl games, you could have additional games. And that doesn't even apply to postseason. That just applies to, hey, you know, let's try and get a makeup game in there because you have teams, for instance, in the Pac-12's case, like an Arizona State who's going to play just its third game of the season tonight. Even if they play on the 19th, that's four games. Forget about whether they competed for the South or not. Ultimately, they lost on the field twice. If they win tonight, they're 1-2. If they win next week, they're 2-2. Two and two. That's fine. That's best-case scenario. But they've played four games. What exactly was the point of this entire fall for them when the idea was to play six and potentially seven to be stuck at four? You know, that was like what the whole idea of a spring season didn't have much merit or value. And obviously you have teams like Utah and Washington State only one game ahead of them in terms of number of games played. So could some games be made up even after December 19th? Football Oversight was considering that. What does that mean for Oregon? 
I don't know if they're going to look to play a game on the 26th. I, I can't speak to it. I just can't. Because if it doesn't impact the North Division, for instance, why would you play Oregon-Washington on the 26th? Because if Washington's unable to go in the championship game, and the championship game either is including Oregon or includes the two teams from the South uh, on the 18th, and then you have Oregon play somebody else on the 19th, even if Washington's able to play on the 26th, it has the decision between do they play the Apple Cup or do they play Oregon? If they're able to play in the championship game somehow, some way on the 18th, why is it playing a game at all on the 26th? It's going to say, no, nah, just, you know, if they win, they go to the Fiesta Bowl. If they lose, they'll go to the, uh, presumably, uh, maybe go to the Alamo. Maybe. Or maybe not, because if it's SC and Washington, then Colorado might go to the Alamo, and then Washington goes to I either the Independence Bowl or the Armed Forces Bowl. So they might be in the 26th. They might be playing in the Independence Bowl regardless. So that's why I say the number of moving parts here is just unbelievable. It's head-scratching. It's difficult to comprehend. Uh, I've tried to lay out every which scenario there for you. I realize so much of it is complicated, and it is unbelievably difficult to digest. Hey, I I appreciate it. I get it. What else is there to say? Um, This is where the conference finds itself. It's not good. It's the ultimate and worst-case scenarios in terms of from a competitive sport standpoint uh, a very difficult challenge for uh, the integrity of record integrity of conference championship and division championships and the like none of this is ideal uh, but this is where the conference finds itself so obviously the faster we can find information on that we'll certainly provide it to you as fast as possible on OregonLive.com. in terms of a potential non-conference game for this weekend obviously as time has gone on i can basically assure that there there's well north of 95% chance if at this point not closer to 99% chance that Oregon is not going to play a non-conference game. Um, there is simply no way that that's going to happen. So with that in mind, what are even the options? Let's just say, all right, unbelievably likely that they will not play a game. But if they are to play a game somehow, some way, on at this point would have to be Sunday at the absolute earliest, who would even be viable? Who is even possible? And at this point, I'm not sure there is anybody. If you go by teams who could potentially even be available, who have had games canceled, the only one left standing out there that would even seem to make sense was Ohio, Ohio University, not Ohio State. Ohio State was never going to happen, is never going to happen, obviously is not happening. Um, I know that at the very beginning at the time, because Ohio State's game with Michigan was canceled, when Oregon-Washington got canceled, lots of people instantly jumped to the idea. Sounds great an idea, sounds great at a sports bar, absolutely had no bearing in reality whatsoever, never did, never would, never was, isn't happening. Uh, in terms of Ohio University, if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. So it's taken so long at this point that there is simply no way the Ohio Bobcats, uh, at after 2 o'clock on a Friday Pacific time, so 5 o'clock Eastern, they're not getting on a plane and coming out to Eugene tomorrow that, and to play a game on Sunday. It's just not happening. 
I think if Kansas was going to do it, we would have heard about it by now as well. There is this story uh, over the last couple of hours that Utah State's players have chosen to boycott their game against Colorado State this weekend due to some uh, internal discussions and disagreements uh, in light of some remarks that were made by Utah State's president uh, over this past week. So players are choosing to uh, opt out of playing in their game. Uh, that's a Utah State and Colorado State issue. Uh, is it, I mean, again, theoretically, is it possible for Oregon to play Colorado State? Sure. However, with Utah State players saying they're going to boycott the game, until we know otherwise, right now all we know is from Utah State players saying they're not going to play. So if you know Colorado State is proceeding like there's a game, but you know so you know there's basically a a bit of a rubber meets the road here kind of moment. So uh, what does that mean for uh, for a potential game with Colorado State? Again, right now, as of uh, after two o'clock on Friday, uh, Colorado State is saying that until they're told otherwise, they're playing Utah State on Saturday. So has Oregon contacted them? Will they be in contact and the like? Again, another fluid situation. Will they play on Saturday? There is no way imaginable that this team would be able to play Utah. Uh, Utah it would be able to play Colorado State on Saturday. So at that point, you're talking about a game potentially on Sunday. Is there any way to do that at all and still leave yourself open to the opportunity and possibility from an Oregon perspective of if the Ducks have to play in the conference championship game next Friday. We don't know the answers to any of these things because we don't know how the conference is going to decide its division champions or how it's going to handle Washington if it can't play in the game or or if USC and Colorado are going to play in the championship game regardless. So all of these things, before we even get into non-conference opponents, which, yeah, Oregon did reach out to teams. They reached out to Arkansas State. They reached out to Charlotte. Both of those schools turned them down. I can only imagine and assume that Ohio was contacted since the other two were. Um, I'm going to lean on the idea that Ohio was contacted. They never got back to me to say yes or no, but going on the other two, I don't think it's a very big uh, uh bridged across to then say that Ohio University was contacted. But for one reason or another, that game has not come together. Mainly logistically uh, is a bit of a challenge, to say the least. So, as I say, here we are. Uh, it's Friday afternoon and a weekend that many fans were hoping for and expecting to see a uh, major football game and uh, division championship decided on the field. That's not there, and obviously that's not satisfying at all for anybody. And that's things. And first and foremost, you want to see and hope that uh, Washington's players make a full recovery and everybody else there, players, staff, whoever else may be uh, uh, sick and going through contact trace and everything else, that everybody is, makes as full and speedy recovery as possible, uh, to say the least. But in terms of on the field for Oregon this weekend for football, it looks like increasingly looks like there is not going to be a game at all. Shifting gears to basketball, since that will now draw uh, far more attention as there are two rivalry games on the hardwood for the Ducks this weekend. On the men's basketball side, uh, Oregon playing at Washington Saturday afternoon at 5 o'clock. 
a game that where you would have had a football game leading into a men's basketball game. Now you just have the standalone men's basketball game. So uh, a game of particular interest, to say the least. Nothing like last year's game uh, by way of personnel at all, not even close uh, in terms of personnel. So a very, very different setup and situation for both teams. Uh, Oregon's gotten off to an okay start to this season. Washington very much has not. I know they're coming off of uh, a lopsided win over Seattle uh, earlier in the week, but they have not played particularly well in their other games. Uh, Washington has been a bit disjointed. Um, but that said, again, they are coming off a lopsided win over Seattle, but that I would not use that as the only barometer. For that matter, I wouldn't use Oregon and Florida A&M as the only barometer. Uh, so far this season, Oregon has played as the uh, better of the two teams. But again, uh, you know you're going to be playing a 2-3 zone against Washington. You know it's going to be a lower-scoring, grinded-out kind of style game. But Washington's offense hasn't been there much so far uh, outside of this Seattle game on Wednesday. It hasn't been there very much so far yet either. So we'll see whether or not uh, the Ducks are able to take some advantage there, uh, particularly with their size inside. If they can get inside the zone and do some damage uh, inside the lane, uh, some pull-up jumpers, they might have uh, they might have the ability to you know to break through and and impact the zone on the inside. The other way to beat a two-three zone, obviously, is to shoot well from the outside, and that's why I say it's very different from last year because Peyton Pritchard is not back, obviously. Uh, so you're going to be leaning on an LJ Figueroa and Chris Duarte and Eric Williams to be providing the outside shooting. And while they're all certainly capable shooters, uh, they're not in the same league as uh, Peyton Pritchard was in his ability to hit just absolutely enormous shots last season, particularly in the game at Washington. It was un- unbelievable uh, what Pritchard did in that game last January. So very different teams, very different game, but that will be one of the two rivalry matchups for the Ducks in basketball this weekend. And the other, of course, is the Oregon women heading to Oregon State on Sunday uh, in another rivalry matchup. So that one will be uh, the first of two meetings there uh, between the Ducks and the Beavers. It will be at Gill Coliseum on Sunday afternoon. And uh, first and foremost, we don't know about Sedona Prince, whether or not she'll be able to play. She's been out with the left ankle sprain she suffered a week ago in the win against Colorado, missed the game against Utah on Sunday, hasn't practiced uh, throughout the course of the week. Uh, Kelly Graves is hoping she might be able to practice today on Friday ahead of Sunday's game. And obviously, uh, she would offer in any against any opponent, she would offer a huge, huge, literally and figuratively, uh, amount of skill and talent on the floor for the Ducks. It goes without saying. If she's able to go, the matchup between her and Taylor Jones could be one of the better matchups of bigs in the Pac-12 this season. Even if she's not able to go, Niara Sabali uh, would still be playing a major role in that regard as well. So the battle inside, obviously Ruthie Hebert has been had been a terrific player uh, during her Oregon career and obviously had some good games against Oregon State as well. But the sheer size difference of either Niara Sabali or mainly Sedona Prince uh, up against Taylor Jones would be a very different looking matchup uh, in the paint, uh, in the post, and under the bucket compared to years past. Because yeah, again, Ruthie again was very very good in some of those games, but Taylor Jones is a bigger player. Uh, she, she simply is. She's a taller player. So having somebody of comparable or even bigger size in this case would obviously help the Ducks enormously uh, in a game that. I realize some fans who've been paying attention this week to the scores uh, 
I don't say it will look past because it is a rivalry that matters and would ordinarily draw a packed house of people. But look, Oregon dealt Utah one of its worst losses in program history. And then Utah turned around and beat Oregon State uh, only two days later. Having said that, it was the first two games of Utah's season. So Kelly Gray's not putting any stock in that. He said, look, we caught Utah on a bad night. You can't get into the business of this one beat this one, and then this one beat that one, and then who does what? Because you start going down the uh, rabbit hole that that is, and a whole lot of things start to not make sense very, very quickly. So that's not exactly a winning formula. That's not how you go into a game focused on, well, our opponent tonight, they just came off of a loss against a team that we beat the heck out of, so therefore, what, this game is supposed to be easier or something? Like, Again, easy for fans to view it that way, but he does. He doesn't, uh, and I, I, I don't think he's just saying that. I know he doesn't, and I know he doesn't want his players to think of that way. So we'll see how it goes on the hardwood in both cases uh, for Oregon basketball. But again, on the men's side, a rivalry matchup Saturday night at Washington. On the women's side, a rivalry matchup with Oregon State Sunday afternoon. And then on the football front, we'll keep you as informed as possible on OregonLive.com and in the Oregonian throughout the weekend. Should anything else arise, uh, should any games manage to get played this weekend, and then certainly in terms of what next week may entail. We'll chat with you again once we get uh, some more answers and, one, some outcomes on the basketball court, and then some answers on the football front. Until then, we'll chat with you next week.